Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Abraham feared the future, but thought he had it all figured out, but he only enabled his enemy, Satan. Download this message for free on iTunes or friendshipwithgod.org. Here's Tom Cantor with some highlights from this week's messages. God is a gift. He is the greatest gift that we can receive. When Abraham allowed himself to fear, then he forfeited his ability to trust God. But Abraham was worrying too much about the future, and that's what got him into this trouble. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our study from the book of Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on the Friendship with God radio program. So we seek to please God, and then God will take care of our tomorrows. Now making a plan for tomorrow of projecting a wife into adultery is not pleasing to God. Now in verse 14, Abraham here, he has this plan, and he projects it out there. And so when he gets there, The Egyptians, sure enough, they see that she's a very pretty woman, and no doubt about that, and they commend her, and the the Egyptians just do these things. They take her into Pharaoh's house. Now, Abraham had an enemy. He had an enemy. We have an enemy. It's the same as God's enemy. God had a plan for Abraham, and that involved Abraham's seed. To thy seed, I'll give this land. And that plan involving Abraham's seed involved Abraham in his one flesh with his wife, Abraham and Sarah. Now, God has an enemy who listens very closely to what God wants to do. God's enemy cannot attack or destroy God directly, so he can attack or destroy God's interests. And so when he hears, when Satan hears of God's plan, what better way to get to God than to destroy his plan? And in regard to Abraham, what better way to do this than to destroy God's plan for that involved the marriage, to destroy the marriage of Abraham between his wife, and so through adultery. So God's enemy has been at work since Genesis 3, and as soon as Satan heard God say to Adam that he had a plan for him to have this wonderful fellowship with God in this garden, and that Adam should keep the garden that he is responsible for, then as soon as he heard that, Satan then went to work, to separate God from Adam, to separate Adam from God, and to drive him out of the garden through sin. And that's what's behind Genesis 3, 4 through 5, where the serpent says, you shall not surely die, and God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be open, you shall be as gods, and so forth. And so our enemy, Satan here, as in the case with Adam, as in the case with Abraham, as in the case with us, he's walking about, as it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And therefore it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary or your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And it was Abraham's fault that he fell into this mess. Abraham let fear make him walk into this trap. Abraham did not have to set his wife up for adultery. Abraham and Abraham alone was responsible for this, just as Ananias was responsible for telling the lie to Peter that he had sold the property for a certain amount and given it all for charity. And therefore, 
Peter says in Acts 5.3 to Ananias, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Now, why would Peter say to Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart if Ananias was not responsible to let Satan fill his heart? Otherwise, Peter would have taken would have turned to the Satan and said, why did you fill his heart? But, but he said this to Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart? And to keep back part of the price of the land. Ananias followed Satan and let him fill his heart with the lie. That's why Paul uses this word yield in Romans 6.19, speaking about ourselves. He says, speak after the manner of men. He says, for as ye have yielded your members to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. So we determine what we yield ourselves to. God doesn't determine that. No one else determines that. We determine that. That's why Paul in another place made it very simple when he said in Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. Don't give place to the devil. We determine if the devil has place. That's us. And that's why that word, seeking whom he may, devour in 1 Peter 5, 8 is so important. Now, what happened with Abraham's plan? Well, we see it in uh, verse 16, Genesis 12, 16, where it says, and he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maidservants and she asses and camels. So what a picture we see here of Abraham. I and mean, look at all this he's got now. Wow, you know, Abraham's got sheep and oxen. He didn't have those before. He's got he asses and men servants and maid servants, including a very nice, young, pretty little girl named Hagar. And she asses and camels and, and, you know, Abraham, he's made out like a bandit in this deal. Because look what he's got in all this stuff. But there's just one problem. Abraham has lost his wife. Abraham doesn't have Sarah. And that's left in Abraham a big, giant, aching hole in his heart. Because all the sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants, including the pretty little Hagar and the the camels, they all just don't take the place of Sarah. And Abraham is sick because he made a bad deal. He made a wrong deal. He lost his precious wife. And he looks at everything else he's got, and he says, nothing compared to her. And he just made a bad deal. And what Abraham got in exchange for his wife was just not worth it. And he wants his wife back. And he's not happy with all those things without his wife. That's the way the devil does it in life. That's the way the devil works. He's the master of the bad deal. People are never happy with what the devil gives in exchange. And the ultimate bad exchange that the devil does for people is stated in Mark 8, 36-38, where it says, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So the ultimate bad exchange is to give up God for what the world has to offer. A man who gave up his whole career and his life here in the United States to go to an Ecuadorian jungle 
to bring the gospel to savage Indians was one day reflecting on what he gave up in the U.S., and he wrote these words in his diary, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And after his body was found on the beach, he was martyred by those Indians. But today, that's a tribe of saved souls because Jim Elliot saw through the devil's bad exchange and decided to be no fool and give up what he, he cannot keep and then not give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. So that bad exchange was also offered to the Lord Jesus Christ. When in the temptation in the wilderness in Matthew 4, 9, the devil summed it all up in the final temptation, and it says, And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Just give up God, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And he could have, and he would have. But that would have been a bad exchange. And the Lord Jesus Christ knew that and said so. So Abraham now is looking at the loss of his wife, and he's helpless. He's absolutely, Abraham is helpless. Poor Abraham. He's helpless to bring her back. He can't get her back. He can't go back and say, you know, to um, Pharaoh, you know, she's my wife. She really is my wife. You know, like I told you last week. Oh, yeah, sure. But anyway, he, he said, uh, She's my wife. I just want to give all the stuff back. Take all the stuff back. Give me my wife. Take all the stuff. And so, you know, Pharaoh, he would have said, no, you know, sorry, Charlie. A deal's a deal. You made the deal. Wife or no wife. We made the deal. Fair and square. And everyone in hell today is saying that. He said, I made a bad deal. I just want to go back. I'll give up everything I got here on earth. I just want God. I want to give up everything that I got in the world, and just give me God. And the Satan says, sorry, Charlie, no, a deal's a deal. We made a deal fair and square. And poor Abraham was absolutely helpless. I mean, we have to really stop, and before we get to the plaguing with the God, with God plaguing part, we really need to kind of sit there a little bit and watch Abraham mull on the fact that he's helpless. He can't do anything. This is Pharaoh in Egypt. And he's lost his wife, and he got himself into this, and he caused him to lose his own wife. And he had no power to get it right, to make it right. And he was no match for Pharaoh and the Egyptians, just like we're no match for the devil. Talks about their power in Ephesians 6, 12, and it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and so forth. So, what do you think Abraham was doing it was absolutely helpless, made the bad deal, the bad exchange, lost his wife. He's calling on the Lord. He's calling on the name of the Lord. He's doing what it says in Psalm 50, verse 15. And call upon me, God says, in the day of trouble. Abraham had a pretty good day of trouble. Call upon me on the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. And then now what does God promise in 1 Corinthians 10, 13? There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above your able, but will with the temptation also make or create a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God, in this case, made or created a way of escape. Who would have known with the plague? It says in verse 17, And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Plagues, great plagues. Well, I don't know what those plagues were. Got a little, seems to happen again, unfortunately. Some of these plagues involve private parts, maybe. We don't know what the details of those plagues. 
We don't need to know the details of those plagues. We don't want to know the details of those plagues. But God made a way of escape for, to save the marriage between Abraham and Sarah, and they involved these great plagues. And then in verse 18, we come to something which is very embarrassing and shameful for Abraham. Because it says, and Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou now tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife. Take her, go thy way. So what, what could Abraham say when he's pelted with these questions? You know, what is this? And why dost thou now not tell me? And why saidest thou? Abraham had nothing to say, and Abraham should say nothing but to hang his head in shame because Pharaoh was speaking in the place of God. It was God speaking through Pharaoh, just as it says in Romans 13, rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. But thou then, wilt thou not then be afraid of thy power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. Pharaoh was the minister of God to to Abraham for good. And those questions, that, those three questions that Pharaoh is pelting Abraham with uh, were the very questions that were going to lead Abraham back to God. Because there's one answer for all those questions. There's one answer alone for what Abraham did. And Abraham's answer is, because I did wrong, because I sinned, because I'm guilty, and none of this because I was afraid stuff. You know, that would only be Abraham trying to justify himself, and that would negate any confession. Confession is the only way back to God, because sin is what separates us from God. As it says in Isaiah 59:2, your iniquities have separated between you, very personal, and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. He won't hear you, see? So very straightforward confession. I did it, I'm guilty, I sinned. That's all God wants to hear, no excuses. No excuses. It says in Psalm 51, 3, for I acknowledge my transgression, my sin is ever before me. And in Jeremiah three thirteen, God advises Israel, only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. See, it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say if we confess our excuses, he's faithful and just. It's if we confess our sins without excuses because only then will a person come back to God because confession of a, I am a bold-faced, rotten sinner. That's why I did it. It wasn't so hard for me to do that. Anyway, Because God says, until a person does that, God says, I'll go to my place and just wait it out. And that's what he said in Isaiah 5.15. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Now, in verse 19, uh, Pharaoh said something very important to Abraham. And he said to him, I might have taken her to me to wife. You know, the I might have taken her to me to wife, Pharaoh saying to Abraham, you know, if you want to sin against God, you go sin against God, but don't involve me. That's one thing, because you nearly caused me to sin against God. 
And that's always the way sin is. Sin is that nobody sins unto themselves, you know. That's why in Proverbs 1, the book starts off and we see the transgressors saying, come with us, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. That's why we see the adulteress saying in Proverbs 7, 18, come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Now, in verse 19, also, Pharaoh said something very important to Abraham. He said in verse 19, behold thy wife, behold thy wife. He said, behold thy wife. And again, that hit right to the heart of why Abraham did this. What was Abraham's problem? He didn't respect his wife. He didn't value his wife. His wife was not in front of him. So Pharaoh says to him, your problem, buddy, is that you need to listen to me when I say, behold thy wife. And so when Pharaoh said that to him, he was saying to him, this is your wife. You know, as in Proverbs 5.15, drink waters out of thine own cistern and then running waters out of thine own well, thine own, thine own, thy wife. And it says in 1 Peter 3.7, likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Honor your wife and recognize the echadness of your union. They recognize the echadness, the oneness of your marriage, so that when God said in Genesis 2.24 that the two shall be echad flesh, one flesh, he is saying that should always be in front of you because you could hinder your prayers if you don't honor that echadness, because you could hinder your inheritings of the grace of life, as he calls it, the grace of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being so uh, patient with Abraham. And Lord, as we see Abraham there, helpless from the mess that he got himself into, powerless to do anything about it. And we see you coming in, Lord, with the plagues. We see ourselves helpless in our sins and you rushing in with the cross to save us from our sins. Thank you, Lord, for doing this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Dad, today you quoted the verse in 1 Peter 3, 7, which says that we should give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. What does this mean to give honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel? Well, David, I'm glad you asked that question because on the surface, it looks like as, as husbands that we're to look at our wives and say, well, you know, you're weak. And so uh, I'm so sorry that, uh, you know, you're, you're a woman and you're weak. And and so, uh, you know, here, let me open the door for you because you're too weak to open the door. And uh, let me do this for you because you're weak and, and, and treat him like an invalid or something like that. And that's not at all what it means. It's a very precious and very wonderful statement there in First Peter 3, 7 that we as men really need to grab a hold of and to understand what this is actually saying because we need our wives. Why? Because the Bible makes it very clear that the tendency of the human heart, and especially of men, is for us to see ourselves as strong and mighty. We see ourselves, this is our disease of our heart, as men, we see ourselves like it says in Revelation 3.17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's the problem. That's a disease of our heart. We see ourselves as strong. Men, we see ourselves as strong. But God says, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. 
I counsel thee to buy of me gold and tried in the fire. Thou mayest be rich, white raiment, thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Anoint thine eyes with thy salve, thou mayest see. See, we have this disease. We are men. We don't ask for directions to get someplace when we know we're lost, even though our wives saying, I think we're lost. And we as men, we say, no, I know. I'm strong. I'm, I don't get lost. But we need our wives. Why? Because God says that it's a great blessing to know when you're weak. That's what Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We could also put it this way. When I know I'm weak, then I can become strong, strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. The wife is the first one in the two of the husband and wife who realizes that she's weak. And so therefore she goes to the place of strength. And that's what we need as our husbands, give honor and to say to what do you think? And the wife will say, I think we're in trouble and we need to get on our knees and pray and find the strength of God. This is a wonderful picture that we have of Joseph in the blessing that uh, Jacob was giving to his sons. He comes one to the other, but when he comes in Genesis 49, his last words before he dies, and he comes to Joseph as one of his sons, and he describes him with these wonderful words in Genesis 49, 22 to 24. He says, Joseph is a fruitful bough. See, he's fruitful. Even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. Now, We ask the question, why is Joseph so fruitful? Because it describes him here. And here it says in verse 23, the archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But in verse 24, but his bow abode in strength. See, strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. For thence is the shepherd the stone of Israel. Because Joseph was shot at, because he was sorely grieved, because his brethren hated him, because he found himself in a prison where his feet was hurt with the fetters, as it says in Psalms, where he was absolutely helpless and weak in that prison, and he knew he was helpless and weak. Therefore, he became strong because his arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. It's a precious, precious picture that we have there. There's the little fellow. He's got a big bow, and it's too big for him. The bow is taller than him, and he stands up, and he can't pull that bow back by himself, and much less aim it and fire it. So what we see the picture there, it says the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. There's the mighty God of Jacob coming over the little fella Joseph there and says, don't worry, little fella. And the arms come around him and he takes one hand over the hand of Joseph and the mighty God of Jacob takes the other hand of Joseph. And he says, don't worry, little fella, together we're going to do this. And the mighty God of Jacob, his mighty hands pull back and Joseph's hands are underneath those hands and they pull back with the strength of God, and he aims it, and he's able to fire it. Why? Because the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. 
that only came because Joseph knew he was weak. We have men in our marriages, a wonderful partner, and she knows she's weak, and we got to give honor to her as unto the weaker vessel because she can help us to know our own weakness. She can help us to say, let's pray. She can help us to go to God. She can help us so that the arms of our hands will be made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. That's our wives. That's how we give honor to them as unto the weaker vessel. They help us to know when we think we're strong, we're not strong, and they know that we're weak and that we must go to God for help. That's how we give honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, would you like to reach a lost Jewish person that you know? Maybe a businessman, doctor, lawyer, neighbor, friend, relative? Someone that's Jewish and lost, not saved, and needs to be reached with the gospel. Well, we've got a free Jewish evangelism gift from Israel Restoration Ministries and Tom Cantor. It's his life story in a book and on DVD. And millions of copies have gone out around the world, from Israel to South America, all over the United States, millions of copies. We'd like to provide one to you free, as long as you know a lost Jewish person that you'll give it to, or that you have their information that we can mail it to. So call us today at one 800 247 3051 1-800-247-3051 1-800-247-3051 You can also go to our online form at friendshipwithgod.org to order that free gift. Friendshipwithgod.org You can also sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse and the Friendship with God newsletter. So go to friendshipwithgod.org or 1-800-247-3051 1-800-247-3051 Thanks for listening to Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program. Join us tomorrow.